Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope that you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right to it. Later on, we're going to meet actor Nick Offerman. You may know him best as the super libertarian Ron Swanson from the beloved sitcom Parks and Recreation. But he's also a woodworker, an author, and this weekend he'll co-host the 37th Annual Film Independent Spirit Awards with Megan Mullally, the Will & Grace star who also happens to be his wife. Watch it exclusively on Hollywood Suite. We'll talk about why indie movies are important, about knowing where your food comes from, and how to survive in weird times. Lots more to come with Nick Offerman. First though, let's meet Keila Settle. If you were a fan of the musical The Greatest Showman, starring Hugh Jackman, and who wasn't, then you'll know her as the powerhouse voice behind the Academy Award-nominated song This Is Me. Today, we'll talk about why she had such a difficult time singing that song, a brain disease she says changed her life, but for ways that you may not expect, and we'll find out all about her new project, Murder in Provence, a new detective series now available on BritBox. They investigate murders, mysteries in the dark underbelly of the idyllic area in the south of France. Keila Settle joined me via Zoom from her home in London. So I'm not sure if you know about the Canadian connections that seem to be building up in your career, but you were in All My Life, which is a love story based on a Canadian couple. And yes, now I was. You're in Murder in Provence, based on books by the Canadian author M.L. Longworth. M.L. Longworth. That's absolutely right. That's correct. Are you planning to move here soon, or is this just, are you just flirting with us now? I've tried to years ago and I didn't have all of the opportunities that I was trying to grasp at to get there. I was actually looking to move. Oh, where was I going? Somewhere. Thunder Bay was where I was looking at. To to work as an actor? No, just to escape from being an actor. Um, I wanted to buy like a summer house up there and uh, I was trying to put all the pieces into play, but just, it wasn't meant to be. But I've actually tried, I mean, I tried to get a Scotia Bank account there years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I've tried. And that, you know, never say never, never say never. Do you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. You live in London, but you work in the U.S. You work all over the world, really, and you're American. I'm everything, love. I'm a yeah. lot of things. I'm a <laughs> lot of things, not just American. I just happen to be born and raised in America, but my right. parents, my dad's from England, uh, and my mum was from New Zealand. So I also right. carry right. passports by them as well. Let's uh, talk a little bit about a quote that I saw that um, I thought was really interesting. And we'll talk about murder in Provence in a second. But I love this quote. You say, I am not really a musical theater performer. That's something I think that people would disagree with if they've seen you perform. But you say, I'm more an R&B singer, and I've been doing that my whole life. How does one uh, feed off the other? Or do they? They do, because I think the the misnomer amongst musicians, not specifically, but sort of, I'm generalizing the statement really, is that especially vocalists, they think that, you know, there's a separation between um, musical theater singers, there are, there's a separation between opera singers, there's a separation between pop and alternative rock singers, all of these musicians, but in actuality, we're all doing the same thing. Mm. We're all doing the same thing, just using different parts of our vocal, you know, plumbing, which is the only term I can think of, <laughs> to make the noise to relay the stories that we're relaying. Every single song that you hear, 
no matter what language, no matter what um, genre or medium, is telling a story. Performing is your passion. Uh, what have you done to keep yourself uh, on the level during the pandemic? Do you know what? I've actually been blessed. I was given the opportunity through various people and organizations to perform for healthcare workers, both mm. um, in the UK as well as in the US. And um, I know all of us have been personally touched by this yeah. virus, of course. And uh, so I did everything in my power that I could because I couldn't be on the front lines. I had no skill set for that. So, of course, the number one thing that I could always do if they asked was, can you sing? Absolutely. I'll, I'll do anything. I will do anything to keep anyone and everyone's spirits up. And there were so many things that were happening during the last two years mm -hmm. and that are still going on, you know. And uh, in those regards, I sang many times and performed many times and happily did so because not only was I doing it for the organizations or for the people of, you know, I was learning more about myself because it wasn't a contract anymore. I wasn't doing it for a studio. I wasn't doing it for a record label. I was actually doing it because I was, I understood what being a human being was and I wanted to be a part of that and still do. Do you think that music has been, it's obviously been a constant through your through your life, but do you think that it's been something that has rescued you through your life or, or at least kept you always looking forward in life? Absolutely. I And I didn't know that it would, to be fair, I didn't know that it would actually be that. Mm. There are times even now when there are specific emotions that come over me and all of a sudden words are coming up and melodies are coming up and I stop dead in my tracks and go honestly really I have to sit down right now and put all this on paper you're joking yeah. I've got no time for this please please don't come right now please don't and I've done it you're listening to Keila Settle on the Richard Krause show see her new series Murder in Provence on Britbox because I am a singer-songwriter and the only reason why I am a singer-songwriter is to save myself mm. the songs and the music that I write there's not really your normal you know you know, pop music stuff. It's, it's literally about, you know, learning how to survive. If you can survive what it takes to survive as a human being and they go pretty deep, but I, even if one person heard them and understood what I was saying, that was, and is enough for me. Um, I just had an opportunity to do a concert of a lot of the songs that I've written uh, last week. And it, ironically enough, got rid of a lot of old trauma from another life and made space for God knows what's going to happen <laughs> next. Um, and it's one of the most exhilarating and terrifying things all in the same breath, um, because you literally are jumping out of a plane with what seems like no parachute mm -hmm. at all. But it's there. I just don't need it yet, if that makes sense. So I just keep I just keep floating down to some surface somewhere, I don't know, just waiting. I mean, it's in that wait um, that I exist and that I hope we all exist because we really don't know one moment from the next. And that's what I love writing about. And those are things as a musician, when you can't say the words, when there are no dialogues or mm. monologues that exist, music comes in somehow and takes over. And it's easier to accept when it's in melody form in a very bizarre way, but it's true. I've seen it happen 
it happens for me when I can't hear someone telling me what I need to do in my life. All of a sudden I hear a song, revisit something from Joni Mitchell or Carol King, and all of a sudden I'm I'm in puddles, but it's always there. And it's that, and again, it's the extension of the language when we can't hear the words of anything. We can listen to the music and it all makes sense. Well, music certainly embeds itself in our brains differently than other art forms. I've read that uh, dementia patients and people with Alzheimer's respond to music in a way that uh, they simply don't, uh, even if you read them a poem or if you speak to them. And yes. this is the, this is the power of music. It really, really is. And ironically enough, you mentioned dementia patients. I have um, I have a brain disease mm. that I didn't know I had until about five years ago. And the fact that I am a singer songwriter makes sense within the spectrum of that. Really? Um, because yes, because understanding things uh, pertaining to my life and how to process them, I'm able to process better when I put it into music. So it's very bizarre. Yeah, it's really wow. bizarre. And I love it. I know it's weird to say, I'm so grateful for this disease because it's very weird, but it gets me from point A to point B and there are things that I can leave behind and move forward with because of it. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, cause here I come. Well, you must have noticed the effect that the song uh, this is me had on people. Th this is something that uh, it, it's a showstopper in the movie, but people related to this song in a, in a very personal way. Uh, and that must've made you feel great. You know what? It didn't. <laughs> really? It did not at all. In fact, it horrified me. Oh no. Um, and why? For years, it horrified me um, because, uh, that song wasn't really a lie. And while I had to stay in my trauma to sing that song, to help other people apparently. Yeah. And the only way that I could do that was to stay in that trauma. And I didn't know that because I never got help for it. Right. So I ended up staying hurt and broken. And so for years, people were like, look at this broken singer who is singing. And I never got relief from it, ever, ever. I had to go to therapy to get help, to get myself out of it because it was so traumatizing. I was already, just because of the life that I've lived, um, it's been beautiful and amazing. And a lot of it I don't remember because of my brain disease, but um, there are bits that I do remember that just weren't really nice because life is life and it's nobody's mm. fault. A lot of it pertained to that song. It was one of the reasons why when they came to me in the workshop and said, you're going to sing this song. I said, no, I'm not, but I'll do anything else that you want me to do. Yeah. I can't sing this song because it hits too close to home and I'm not going to get it out. I, I will not. It's going to be impossible for me to do that. And they bribed me with everything. And I was like, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> If you're going to give me this, you give me that, fine, I'll do it. Um, but it was petrifying. The, the video that everyone sees that I didn't really know they were going to show was really how I felt for decades before as a human being. So I never got help for that because that trauma what was what was selling the song. Are you yeah. still able to sing it now that you have a different 
point of view or you've worked through that trauma or is it off the off the table so for the first time in my life um last november i had the opportunity to sing at the royal variety performance mm. uh, for the royal family and um i made a very who has now become a very good friend only probably five six months ago who in depth has talked with me about that song because I have always said to them, look, I don't want to talk about this. It's not fun for me. It may have saved millions of people's lives, which is still an incredible, incredible thing, but I can't even save myself. Mm -hmm. And they, and we talked about it a lot to the point where I was able to work through detaching myself from the song, which I've done. And so for the first time at that Royal Variety performance, I can actually appreciate it for what the rest of the world has always appreciated it for. And that was one of the biggest wins for me, the biggest wins ever. And from that point on, I've sung it a few times after, since, and it has been the same as of, you know, being able to detach. So I think all of the things that were, that were attached to that song have since I've let go of in some small way enough to be able to still perform it and feel pride and love for it, mm -hmm. as well as feeling all the pride and the love for the people that hear those words. But I'm not broken anymore, if that makes any sense at all. In that regard, I think yep. we're all broken, but mm -hmm. in that regard, you know, I, I maybe I've gone maybe to another level. I can only hope. I can only hope. Well, certainly uh, change is part of the only constant is change is what they always Absolutely. say changes is, is part of how we put one foot in front of the other every day. Yeah, it's the only way. It's the only way. And we can, we're the only ones that can do it, really. No one else can do it for us. People think that they can. It's interesting, right? You must well, have I mean, over the yeah, years I mean, gotten loads of advice. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's why it took so long for me to get to, do you know what I mean? It's like, fine, I got this. I got this. I got this. I got this. They've told me I've got this. Everyone yeah. in the world, you know, our society's built up to say, we've got this. We're in an ecosystem of millions upon billions of, you know, electrons and protons and neutrons, all of these things that form creatures and you know, birds and animals and plants and fish, and they all travel in schools and grow in groups. And for some reason, as human beings, we're all going, I've got this, I don't need you. When in actuality, that's the biggest lie we're telling <laughs> ourselves. But that's all right. We'll figure it out, hopefully, at some point on our own journeys. Um, but yeah, it is. It's one of those things where it's an individual perspective where you have to get to it. And only you can, no one else can do it except you. But if you have the support system um, that stands by as you get there, because they'll be there to go, hiya, do you need water? Do you need, you know, do you need a towel? What do you need? Do you need me to switch out your socks? You know, any <laughs> of those things. That, that's, that's what's important. And that's what they're there for. But you have to go on the journey yourself. Absolutely. Well, you are on a different journey uh, career-wise right now <laughs> <laughs> with Murder in Provence. Uh, ah! Yeah, so tell me a little bit about playing uh, Helen. I will do. Helen Polique is the Deputy Commissioner of Aix-en-Provence Police, which is the town, because it's not really a village, it's actually a really great city in South France, um, near the Luberon, and... Uh, the, the, the judicial system there is different from 
the US judicial system as well as the British judicial system in the sense that there's a judge, there's a deputy commissioner, and then there's a criminal psychologist, the judge who is played by Roger Allen, <laughs> and the criminal psychologist who's played by Nancy Carroll. I love them both so much. Um, all three of us, um, the judge sort of sits at the head of our little triangle. And as the criminal psychologist goes deep in, and delves into sort of getting personal with these people while she's questioning them, I'm going for all of the facts. Mm-hmm. And what the judge does, Roger Allen, is takes all of the bits and pieces, puts them together, gets rid of the stuff that, you know, it's sort of like a clue game, but in Provence. And he's the lead person who will tell you, yes, this might be it. No, this might not be it. But in every case, both Nancy and I, our characters, have to be on top of our game Mm -hmm. so that we're one step ahead of him because he needs all of those clues and all of that information because it's all happening, you know, of course, in real time. You're listening to Keila Settle on The Richard Krause Show. See her new series, Murder in Provence, on BritBox. Um, But it's absolutely lovely. It's a gorgeous place. Absolutely gorgeous. And um, the storylines are incredible. I love them. Love them. You do have this great backdrop that you're playing against and you get to live there while you're shooting. So I'm sure the food is great and everything's fantastic (laughs) in that way. But you're also, (laughs) but you're also uh, part of uh, a detective show that uh, is very much female led and is unusual and, and kind of refreshing. I, I love it because the storylines as people will see uh, in this first series also lend towards that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not it's not something that's oh let's be new. It's what it is. That's it's the books have been written and Sheila Stevenson, who's taken the books and made screenplays out of them. Both women incredibly gifted. Sheila Stevenson, who herself used to be an actor and then went into um, playwriting and script writing, renowned for it. Um, uh, along with uh, our producers, Monumental Films, um, along with ITV and all of the other people, BritBox, they've they've really catered to the nuances of a woman that other people would never see because it's never in the public eye. Mm. But it's all these lovely ins and outs of, you know, it doesn't have to always be stress. It doesn't always have to be, I'm getting a divorce. It doesn't always have to be my children, I can't. Right. It doesn't always have to be, why you the man, aren't you looking up? You know, it doesn't always have to be that. And the story actually really shines, like all of the, you know, investigations. And you get to see how women in their ways, which are lovely, um, get to the bottom of it all and how you know just how that triangle really works and fortunately enough for us it works so magically I love it it's it has really truly been uh, an incredible experience on and offset um the production's been amazing and I just hope we get to do it again <laughs> <laughs> and as I said earlier you got to shoot in France we had such a glorious time and the weather was absolutely stunning and and there was also a pride from the crew, yeah, because we're filming in their region. And it's it's one of those things that we were happy to do it. Of course, it was a job, but we were happy to be there to shine that light on where they are all from. Because it's not a period piece. It's happening here and now. So it was it, it just was just a mutually lovely, lovely time. And as I said, <laughs> we're all counting our chickens, hoping that we can go back. 
because of how lovely it was. They were so kind. And my God, we had wine at lunch. I mean, we can't have it, but they did. It was lovely. Just saying I did it. We, we didn't have it. The actors did not have it. I'm just saying, but it was there if you wanted it. Well, perhaps it's time to add a French and Canadian passport to your ever expanding <laughs> pile of, of passports that you have at home. I only wish a European <laughs> Union passport. I only wish my yeah. goodness. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me. What a delight. Thank you. It's so happy to be talking to you. Such a pleasure. That was Keila Settle on The Richard Krauss Show. See her right now on BritBox in Murder in Provence. Great detective show with lots of twists and turns. If you've been watching Pam and Tommy, you already know my next guest is Uncle Milty, the porn producer and all-round scumbag. Or maybe you know his role in The Founder, in which he portrays Richard McDonald, one of the brothers who developed the fast food chain McDonald's. You absolutely know him as Ron Swanson, the mustachioed libertarian guy in the corner office in the sitcom Parks and Recreation. This weekend, he'll co-host the 37th annual Film Independent Spirit Awards with Megan Mullally, who also happens to be his wife. Watch it exclusively on Hollywood Suite. Nick Offerman joined me from his home in Los Angeles via Zoom. Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing, Richard? Very well, thank you. And thanks for taking some time to talk to me today. My pleasure. Uh, I, you, if you're not um, a radio personality, you should be. With you've got an incredible voice. Oh well, thank you. I am on the radio, so it, it my my skills are being my only skill. I think is being put you to good use. <laughs> now, it has been a rough few years for the film industry. How important do you think that awards like the Independent Spirit Awards are in reminding people that there is a world of movie options out there? Uh, I think it's it's very important. It's paramount because in even in pre-pandemic times, specifically the Independent Spirit Awards, uh, notify the world who you know who especially in this day and age when we have a preponderance of content that just c continues to exponentially expand. The Independent Spirit Awards are they're like the New York Times Book of the Year list, where it's like okay, here's a here's a compendium I can turn to. And, you know, for as long as, as uh, I can remember, Megan and I specifically used the Independent Spirit Awards to as a guide of like, okay, mm. here's all the stuff that didn't have huge advertising budgets behind it, but uh, involved people taking much more courageous and innovative artistic swings than, you know, the big studio features, the big budgets that are plastered across the sides of, of every, every bus. And so... We're very honored and glad to be uh, representing that side. Like, I, 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 liked, I liken it to the Independent Spirit Awards is the award show for the, the cool kids who sit in the back of the bus and fire up their jazz cigarettes and stab, stab each other, uh, but in a shallow uh, uh, way, rife with, uh, with nihilism. <laughs> in a non-invasive way, stab themselves in a non-invasive way. Yes, mutually consenting. That's right. So Where the Deer in the Antelope Play is uh, your latest book. And I'm going to tie all this in because that book to me 
is about finding empathy. It is about finding uh, where we are in the world right now. And a part of that is is about empathy. And I think the kinds of movies, and this is not a slam against big Hollywood movies, because I love those too, but the Independent Spirit Awards tends to uh, focus on movies that I would say are little machines for empathy. They are stories that uh, give us a window into lives that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, And I would think just because of what I took away from reading your book, uh, that perhaps that's part of the appeal to you of being involved in all of this. Well, first of all, thank you so much for for reading my book and still agreeing to speak with me. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm really proud of it. It's it's a clumsy, you know, uh, flawed attempt, as you say, to to try and improve my own ability to to. Uh, engage in kindness and empathy in this materialistic world. And, and yes, absolutely. I mean, it's that impetus, I think, that drove Megan and myself to, uh, to seek careers first in the theater and then eventually in mm-hmm. film and television as well. Uh, the art of storytelling as medicine, you know, to, to look at, uh, at, at walking miles in the shoes of other people often people who are being discriminated against or somehow are the victims of this society, um, which you can find just all anywhere across the rainbow spectrum of civilization. And, and these movies are great representatives of that sensibility. Um, uh, I, I agree, you know, and there's room for everybody on on the slate. Big Hollywood movies are wonderful. You're listening to Nick Offerman on The Richard Krause Show. See him co-host the 37th Annual Film Independent Spirit Awards with Megan Mullally exclusively on Hollywood Suite. You know, to make an analogy, like the, there are uh, popular hamburger franchises that every you know people generally, even if you know it, it's not necessarily filled with the most nutritional ingredients, I will happily... Uh, especially with a couple beers in me, power down a, a, a huge uh, novelty sandwich. But then at the same time, the the Spirit Awards, the independent film world, is more like an artisanal chef, somebody with a little storefront who does the most amazing things with a Cuban roll and uh, you know some smoked turkey and a special Gruyere that his brother makes, you know, in Wisconsin, and so. The, the independent spirit sandwiches, sorry, films are the ones that, you know, make you say, holy cow, I've never experienced this combination of, of mustard uh, and marjoram before. <laughs> now, let's talk about where the deer and the antelope play. Why is it important right now to have a book like this in our world? Well, uh, the. You know, the the spark of this book uh, hit me about 25 years ago when I first read some Wendell Berry stories. Mm. He's a wonderful agrarian writer from Kentucky, and and he's a farmer. And the notion, sort of the core notion, uh, that Michael Pollan also took a spark from Wendell Berry and wrote his famous books, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and his books about cooking, Uh, the notion is, I, I was struck by the question, who makes your food? Who produces your food? Do you know where your food comes from? Like literally the fuel of your health, the, the only, the things you ingest into your body. And I said, holy cow, I, my parents are prolific gardeners in Illinois and my, I come from a farming family 
and even then, uh, you know, it's it's always uh, a topic at the dinner table, like, oh, the the Brussels sprouts are from the garden, and the garlic in the sauce is from the garden, but everything else came from the grocery store or, or sometimes a local butcher. But by and large, the the hordes of people on this planet, we have no idea who's producing our food, and and when I begin to look into it, it's corporations producing our food, and they're not making food it's with, with our health in mind they're generally making our food uh so that they can make a profit more than making us making us delicious food that's healthy and nutritious and so that just that that expanded in my consciousness into topics of climate change the way that we no longer uh pay attention to the stewards of nature you know we, we have successfully convinced ourselves that we humans exist outside of nature instead of as part of Mother Nature's grand economy. And so, I, I, frankly, it's a, it's a pain in the butt to know this stuff. I wish I could, I could remain ignorant because it's much more comfortable. But unfortunately, I am aware of it and I have enough of a conscience that I wrote this book and said, hey, everybody, uh, especially if you're smarter than me, which is 55 to 60 percent of you, re get excited about this. We need to pay attention to our farmers, to how we're treating our natural resources, um, because we're all complicit in this system. Like we, we all are happily driving our internal combustion engines to the store to you know buy our food products that are that are uh, that are using up our natural resources in ways that are unbeknownst to us, but are destroying our relationship with nature. And so in my small, you know, sort of ignorant way, I'm, I'm a, an actor and, a, and like professional woodworker and jackass, but I, I have a readership. And so what I choose to say to my readership is, hey, uh, Wendell Berry, Aldo Leopold, Robin Wall Kimmerer, Bill McKibben, all of these incredible brains, uh, and beautiful writers, they excite me and they teach me uh, about how I can still have a very happy life, but pay attention to what Mother Nature needs in the hope that we can continue to live with her like, because she'll she'll stamp us out at some point if we don't wise up. Manuka, Illinois, I'm not sure how many people are there, but I bet you I have you beat. I grew up in a town of about a thousand people. Uh, and, you do, uh, and, and we were very connected to the farmers that we bought everything from. And we knew the guy that made our bread. And we knew that. And then somehow, and this is what your book reminded me of, I drifted away from that. That's the thing. We're, we're literally all complicit in it. Even... Mm -hmm. Even smart people like the writers that I just mentioned, they use automobiles and they use air conditioning and they, you know, they don't, nobody is completely off the grid or like eating per, the most amazing, you know, holistic hunter gatherer meals. Uh, but we, we all are in agreement that we, we have, have lazily fallen into this. It's human nature. Mm -hmm. Like you, you want to make the easier choice and follow the path of least resistance. It's, it's like, Oh, if, if I buy this beautiful, like uh, bleach white bread at the store, I don't, that's, I don't have to bake my bread anymore. That's incredible. And Oh, now I have this time to kill. Oh, well they've somebody put a channel into my house and there's a cartoon on that channel. Holy cow. This is amazing. I can eat the bread while I watch the cartoon. And so those on the surface are wonderful things. I love 
bread. I love cartoons. Like it's win-win, right? And Wendell Berry has a great essay about um, about about uh, screens and wires. Like as soon as you run one wire to your house for electricity, you you are part of the system, no matter how. Uh, how high on your horse or, or like your environmental finger wagging uh, might be, you are sending your tacit agreement, you're sending a check to a company saying, Mr. Electricity, here's my money. I assume you're going to be cool, right? About how you're like, I don't know how you're making this, uh, <laughs> this wattage that you're sending me. Like you're not going to uh, destroy any mountaintops or, you know, I can't imagine, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't like destroy the lives of whole communities by sending them into the ground to to extract coal because you're not holes right and you know come to un- find out that that would be an incorrect assumption i've been reading about your struggles in the early years uh of your acting career in los angeles after having moved there from chicago and i was wondering if you have advice for people uh, today, not necessarily actors, whoever, uh, as a way to feel better as the world seems to be kind of spiraling out of control uh, around us. It's the kind of question, I guess, that you might get asked on your Substack newsletter, Donkey Thoughts. Uh, but I wonder if you have a thought uh, about how people can just feel better in these terrible times we live in. I do. I mean, that that's a great question. Uh, I, I And, and I, it's... It's a subject that I um, think about a lot, uh, even before these, you know, uh, it's funny, it's hard, it's hard, it's becoming harder and harder to discern when exactly the terrible times began. You're listening to Nick Offerman on The Richard Krause Show. See him co-host the 37th annual Film Independent Spirit Awards with his wife, Megan Mullally, exclusively on Hollywood Suite. Um, But but certainly uh, for me, the the last uh presidential uh four years were pretty a pretty good <laughs> indicator of uh of the manifestation of terrible times and then you throw a, a worldwide pandemic into the mix um and now uh, a new uh weird war situation mm-hmm. um in europe uh so i mean all along my um I, I've, I've had to learn uh that the reason if I was ever unhappy, it was because um, I was focusing not on what I had, but what I didn't have. And uh, and eventually, somewhere in my in my twenties, it really clicked for me where I said, "Oh, th- this uh, what you've been given, this body, this uh, voice, you know, whatever whatever skills or foibles you possess, that is all. That's all you get. Like you you can you can uh, uh, exploit it as a as a quiver full of of magic arrows or you can be ashamed of it and try to like uh, look slick or like get crazy abs or somehow ambitiously chase some brass ring or or carrot that that w- will only make you miserable even if you get the brass ring or carrot you'll be like oh what was I, why was i chasing that like vanity or greed or and so ever since then i've, I've had such wonderful fortune in uh uh being cast in roles or sort of being rewarded or succeeding as a slow talking bucolic like country mouse uh instead of you know wanting wishing i was like james spader doing fast talking like lawyer speeches 
which I still like that's that's what popped into my head where I was like sure I love playing uh plumbers but I mean James Spader has some pretty cool speeches on Boston legal like that was very influential for me but instead I I have a TV show with Amy Poehler about simply making stuff and that's always my answer is to to feel better for myself I simplify I I turn away from the world at large you, if you take in too much of the news, even if you have a very happy life, which I do, if you watch the news all the time, it's like, holy son of a bitch, the world is horrible. But if you shut that off, and I'm literally looking out a window right now, and there's a hummingbird uh, feeding on the the buds of this uh, carrot wood tree, well, maybe that's not so bad, you know? And so I, I simplify, I, I narrow down, my focus, um, and I and I think about my loved ones. So it, that's just a, that's a, a trick that I learned from my family. Just generally, we do things for each other. There are just gestures, um, and it turns out that that's a, a form of medicine uh, and a form of self care. That I communicate with my siblings, my mom and dad, or Megan, or my neighbors. Uh, we had a bunch of extra tomatoes last week and I took them to my neighbor and you'd, you'd think I took him a, a, a basket of golden eggs. Like they won't shut up about, I'm like, okay, it's, I get it. Like, <laughs> but I mean, it was, it, the, they loved the gesture so much and they've had three males, three meals out of the tomatoes. So that's always my, my thing is to, I'll make a little something uh, a couple days ago, things, we're having some problems at my wood shop. There's four employees there. Uh, the, there was just kind of a train wreck. One of our machines broke down. And so I bought everybody lunch. And, you know, it, at the end of it, we still have our problems to solve, but we've, we've been able to say, okay, together we'll get through this. Um, and so I, I always just turn to what I can make, what small gestures I can make, whether it's writing something in my donkey thoughts and sharing it with my readership or uh, or more personally, just making something for somebody in my life. That was Nick Offerman on The Richard Krause Show. See him co-host the 37th annual Film Independent Spirit Awards exclusively on Hollywood Suite this weekend. A big thanks to Nick. Also a big thanks to Keila Settle. You can watch her in Murder in Provence on BritBox right now. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>